Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 6 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. My name is Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show, where I'll be joined by my first special guest, Patrick Feast. Hakeem dropped the ball! Oh, Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What do talk about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. It's my quarterback. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep a trick the ball down the field, boys. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. This is a special moment in the Fantasy Law Guy podcast history. I'm bringing on my first guest ever. His name is Patrick Feast at Pat Feast on Twitter. I've been competing with Patrick in lower stakes money leagues for years now, decades almost, and he's always one of the few people where I focus on their drafts. I always look back at his draft after and try to evaluate how it compares to my team. Or or when I'm planning my draft strategy, I always think, okay, maybe I can get player X here. But then I get upset because I realize that Patrick has a pick or two before then. And he's not going to let me have nice things. So anyway, I'm excited to bring on my guest, Patrick Feast, today. Let's bring him on. Welcome to the Fantasy Law Guy podcast, Patrick. Appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. In my last episode, I was actually talking about the impact COVID-19 may have on this fantasy football season. And as somebody who follows sports religiously and somebody who's played fantasy football for two two decades now, like you have, how do you see this playing out? Thanks, Nick. Appreciate you having me on here. I'm looking forward to it. First, I can say that I think COVID is going to have a big effect on the NFL. And just right off the gate, the NFL PR team is at it again. You know, I just don't think they're handling the situation very well. Just the fact that they really haven't said much of anything. But in terms of fantasy football, I think there will be more passing and lesser less runs because an away team, would, you know, they would run the ball to kind of get the crowd out of the game. Well, if there's no crowd, which I'm anticipating, then there's not going to be as need to necessarily run as many times if that's not, you know, a strong suit of that team. I think they'll throw more to, since there will be no crowd noise to try to neutralize. So you think and, the offenses are going to be more open, I guess. Yes. The coaches will be more aggressive because, yeah, they don't have to worry about the crowd noise. So are you buying that there's not going to be any – are you saying that there's not going to be any fans in the stand? Or are you saying there might be, I don't know, like 10,000 or something like that? What's your feel on that? I'm trying to be optimistic. And I'm going to, I want to say that there will be some fans. But the way the NFL is doing it, how they're kind of leaving it up to each individual city, that's odd to me. I feel like there needs to be a, you know, league wide mandate on what the fans all or how many fans can be there, if they can be there at all. There but has to be, because then. Right. Some fe- some teams would have a home field advantage and others would not. Like the Chargers, right? <laughs> yeah, like the Chargers. <laughs> and I think one team actually already came out and said 
just yesterday, actually. I, yes. I'm blanking on who it was. Who was it? It was that? Philly. It was Philly. said that they're not going to allow fans in the stadiums. Right. And I'm sure Eagles fans are very pleased about that. But how? What other? What other impacts do you see this having on the fantasy football season? I think handcuffs, running backs, and receivers are going to be a lot more valuable. Because there's always the chance that someone can get hurt and a handcuff can come into play, like an Alexander Madison, a Tony Pollard, those kind of players. But now with COVID, if you get a positive test on your star player, you're out two weeks, no questions asked. Sorry, guys, I got to sit this one out. So that means I think handcuffs are going to be a lot more valuable, or at least not even necessarily handcuffs, but backup players. Because right. I think they're going to have a lot more of a role this year than they ever would previously. So, yeah, I love that point. If you don't have an IR spot, I mean, you're already behind the times, but you need to be adding IR spots this season because people are going to miss time because of this disease. And also, you probably need to increase your bench spots by maybe one or two because, again, you're going to be, on some weeks, adding backups that you otherwise would have no business adding. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk more about that as the offseason progresses with this. Let's get into non-COVID related issues. You know, when I asked you to come on the show, I said, hey, is there any player you specifically want to talk about? And you said Juju Smith-Schuster. What what do you think makes his case so fascinating this year? Well, I I mean, I think you'll agree with me here that it can't possibly get any worse than last year. It's impossible. I mean, his quarterback went down. There was no real number two last year in Pittsburgh. I think that's a little different now. And he was dealing with injuries all last year. He had, what was it, like 500 yards and three touchdowns, and people were drafting him in the second round. That had He had to have been the biggest disappointment of last year, and a lot of it wasn't in his control. But this year, Juju, assuming that Big Ben is back and healthy, which all signs indicate right now he has high-end wide receiver one potential and you know he he's kind of a dark horse for a possibly wide receiver one overall one overall huh and why why do you think he's going to get that opportunity i just think the passing game sure pittsburgh has some tight ends and they have deontay johnson but other than that there's not a ton of pass catchers there you could throw james connor in the mix there But I think Juju is going to get a big portion of that team's targets. And we'll see if he can finally, this is might be his make or break year. If he could do it without Antonio Brown, because we haven't seen it yet. And the opportunity is there. Week one of last year was the only full game we got to see with Big Ben. Eight targets, six catches, 78 yards. Nothing spectacular, but he was against Stephon Gilmore. So it's actually one of the better games against New England. And that was the only time we really got to see him with Big Ben last year. I read something by Dr. Edwin Porras, and he works for FantasyPoints.com. He's at FB Injury Doc. He said a player whose concussion history is a yellow flag in 2020 is Juju Smith-Schuster. He's had concussions in August 2017, October 2017, and November 2019. So that's definitely something to uh, keep an eye out for. Uh, I, I feel like when players get more concussions throughout their career, they're not just sitting out one or two games. You know, they're sitting out several games like we saw with Brandon Cooks last season. 
and to the other and to the extreme Jordan Reed, who is right, basically exactly. done. Yeah, I've heard Jordan Reed's actually looking for a team right now. And I'm just I'm just thinking to myself, oh please no, like please just stay retired, man. Like right. It's it's wow. such a shame because he had all the talent in the world. He just could not shake the concussions. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's actually a really sad situation, and I hate that he wants to actually keep playing. I was like, the damage is probably pretty significant at this point, but I guess he just really loves football a lot. Speaking of love, loving football a lot, I want to mention one more thing about Juju Smith-Schuster. Mm-hmm. What I really like about him this offseason is that – you know, and this is not sophisticated analysis, so bear with me here. But I really like seeing the videos of players working out and like looking ripped in the off season. And Juju has definitely been posting, man. I mean, about two weeks ago, a picture kind of made the rounds on Instagram, where it's like this split picture of Juju Smith-Schuster from like a year ago, and then the now on the other side, what he looks like now, and he's just totally, completely shredded like getting into that aj brown dk metcalf territory for wide receivers <laughs> and but it what it tells me though is that okay this guy's taking his craft seriously i just love seeing it after an off season where he got hurt because it tells me now he's doing everything he can or taking all kind of measures to correct the issues and be able to withstand the season healthy it of course comes in a contract year so you just know convenient you, Wants that, yeah. He, you just know he wants that bounce back badly. And I'm not. I'm not trying to sit here and brag on Juju for working out. I mean, he's a professional athlete, and that's what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice, not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. But and the experts always joke about the cliche. Always, you read all the training camp reports. Always in the best shape of his life. That kind of stuff. A lot of that stuff is fluff pieces. But seeing it personally, rather than hearing about it through the eyes of like a beat writer, I, I think it's more persuasive. And, you know, I'm not going to say that this stuff is extremely like, oh, yeah, now I definitely have to draft Juju Smith-Schuster. But I do think it's a factor among many. And I find it more persuasive in a contract year. And it definitely just kind of tells me he really wants that bounce back the year. And I guess I'd just rather see it than not see it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's one of those yeah. circumstantial evidence things. Yeah, exactly. So, and if y'all don't know, Patrick actually went to law school about the same time I did. Uh, Patrick graduated from Loyola. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, 35th overall uh, ADP, and that's in FFPC high stakes competitive draft. So 35th overall. So we're looking at almost fourth round territory here. I and, think that is an absolute steal. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with you if you took him – mid-second round. I mean, it's high, don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to argue with you because if you like the guy, I mean, the potential's there with him. You saw it two years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think 35 overall, that's that's a steal. And you mentioned a great point earlier, which I actually totally forgot about. Juju Smith-Schuster was being drafted as a, you mentioned second rounder. He was borderline first rounder. Like, he was a fringe first, second round pick in full point PPR leagues. And... Now he's had at the end of round three. I mean, if he leaks in around four, I mean, yeah, that's that's auto draft right there. I mean, that's you're smashing that. But I want to put you on the spot here, Patrick, because uh, mm-hmm. you are the guest of today's show. I'm going to mention some other wide receivers going around that area. Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, Adam Thielen, Odell Beckham, Amari Cooper, all going around that 
round three draft area. Do you mm-hmm. have Juju Smith-Schuster ahead of all those guys? Um, it would depend on the structure of my team, but you not in a vacuum, I'll just go in a vac. Yeah, in a vacuum. Um, if I'm going for the straight, you know, boom player, I might have Odell Beckham higher than him. But overall, yes, I would have Juju above all of them normally. Gotcha. So you feel like you might want to take a flyer on Odell Beckham in some leagues, but you have Juju over Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, Amari Cooper, Adam Thielen, those types of players, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Patrick, you were also really high on Kyler Murray last year, and I think most people are expecting a second-year leap with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, mm-hmm. and now that Murray has another year of experience, and just as an NFL quarterback and in Cliff Kingsbury's offense— Murray is being drafted between quarterbacks three and six, and he's going around Dak Prescott, Russ Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Are you doubling down on Murray this year, or do you think the hype is kind of making him too costly? I am absolutely doubling down. Okay. Last year, I mean, he he was gr- I mean, he was great for a rookie, but you could see that he was kind of struggling at times, whether yeah. it be with accuracy, whether it be with he didn't. If he couldn't do what he wanted to do from a coaching perspective, as he was like, as if he was being told not to run, because he likes to run. Obviously, that's not his goal, but we really didn't see him being fully unleashed. And he's in that system. It's it's just perfect for him. Obviously, Cliff Kingsbury coming from college, Texas Tech loves to throw the football. He he had a few good quarterbacks at Texas Tech, Patrick Mahomes being one of them. But uh, that system. I can't remember the exact number, but in the in the preseason, I think it was the third preseason game. Who the hell takes a third game in a preseason like it's bull? bull the Cardinals had run like seventy something plays by halftime. Good job. Keep up the pace. It's it's just ridiculous the system. And my whole thing with Kyler last year was even if he's a bad in real life quarterback. He's still going to produce top 10 fantasy numbers because of how many times he's going to be throwing the football. Now, I think we can all say that Kyler is not a bad in real life quarterback. He's going to be a great in real life quarterback. And you add in another year of maturity, another year of learning the system, and then add in, you know, a top three wide receiver in the NFL and DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think there's, I, I would not draft a quarterback over him whose name isn't Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. There's so you no have a quarterback three. Yes. Yes. And I mean, I don't know if this is that bold of a prediction, but I have Kyler as a top three quarterback this year by the end of the season. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think it's that bold at all. I mean, he definitely has the upside to get there. I think his upsides even, you know, he obviously could be this year's Lamar Jackson. Uh, I mean, I thought it was a good point to where even if Murray – even if the light switch really isn't turned on, the Cardinals just run so many plays and at such a fast pace, and he's got the rushing floor, that even if Murray doesn't click as a passer, the, the numbers will be there. You know, like they say in mm-hmm. fantasy, it doesn't have to be pretty to acquire fantasy points. Exactly. And also the Cardinals' defense, still not good. They drafted Isaiah Simmons. Still and, not good. Yeah, no. I mean, they're going to be in shootouts for sure. And they're also, I like that they're playing in a dome too for at least eight of their games. So, yeah, lo- lots of reasons to be in on Kyler Murray for sure. So, yeah, pretty pretty good stuff there. Patrick, who are you totally out on the, 
for this year. Like, you don't really ever see a scenario where you plan on drafting this guy. Um, let me think for a second on that. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. I'm just not the type of fantasy player that's going to draft a tight end in the high rounds. And those two guys are me going in rounds, maybe back end one, but two and three for sure. And that's just such a hefty investment to make in a tight end position where you could pick a guy literally nine or ten rounds later and not really notice that you're missing out on a top flight tight end because of the other position you were able to get in that second and third round. So, yeah, so for me, it's Kittle and Kelsey. Nothing against them. Love both of them. Great players. They just will not be on my draft board. Yeah, I was always of that same sentiment. And then about two years ago, uh, Rob Gronkowski. Was my consensus, you know, I made a big deal about it in my in my fantasy draft guide. And I was like, everybody needs to be hitting Rob Gronkowski in their early second round. And at that point, his average draft position was like round three. And I was like, no, this guy is worth a second round pick. Mm-hmm. Take him now. And everybody took him. And that was the year that he fell off. And of course. It did not work at all. You don't really know when a guy who's like, for example, Travis Kelsey's age uh, pretty actually similar age to you, you never know when they're going to drop off but yeah it's tough it's a tough pill to swallow to take a tight end that high in a fantasy football draft and you're able to stream the position as well right and i want to clarify they are worthy of a second or third round pick yeah uh, if, they, if they hit if well i'm just saying kelsey and kittle they're worthy of the second or third round pick but i just won't be the guy making that pick because you'd rather be taking running backs and receivers there? Yeah, absolutely. Like last year, I was faced with that same scenario, the same two players, and I waited and I drafted Hooper and Waller. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of experts actually even share that sentiment where they just, you know, they understand the value. They understand how taking a tight end could work in that case, but they just can't do it when it comes down to it like when push comes to shove they can't hit that button on taking that tight end in round two because of the opportunity cost there's so many other great uh running backs and elite wide receivers who you kind of know are going to hit on the board so i like that you answered my question with a very uh kind of bold stance you know like a player you're totally out on you know you enter you're saying that two of the best players in the league honestly and no but i like that though i mean it's honest it just it's it's genuine it's just saying hey look i recognize that these tight ends are amazing but they're just not for me in terms of a strategy perspective let's move on here uh patrick i mentioned already that you went to law school just like i did we're both lawyers so i'm about to give us a chance to kind of make our cases here possibly argue about certain players like we enjoy doing and i thought it would be fun today to We're going to play a game. We're going to play a game called Would You Rather, but don't worry, it's a fantasy football version. I'm going to give, uh, well, you don't want to do the real thing, right? No, I'm going to give two players (laughs) next to each other in ADP, and we're going to each pick a player that we would rather draft. So hopefully we don't agree on all the players. I'd like to see some differences, but, but we'll see. 
So are you ready? I am ready. Okay. The first set of players, Matt Ryan, who is going 85th overall on Fantasy Pros ADP, and Drew Brees, who is 88th overall. Who would you rather draft? Oh, this is a painful one on a number of levels, but it, it's Matt uh, Ryan. It's just, I think the Saints offense, while Breeze is still great, and he's still obviously a top talent quarterback-wise in the league, Matt Ryan's going to have better numbers. He's going to throw the ball more. It's I, I think their offense is built that way because their running back is Todd Gurley. Who's not exactly, uh, you know, the poster boy for health. So right. I think they'll be throwing the ball more with Julio. Julio, get the stretch. Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst. And the numbers will be there, even though Breeze is by far and away the better actual quarterback. I, I think both people, I think both quarterbacks have great supporting cast. But oh, the situation absolutely. for Atlanta is Atlanta has to throw the ball and the Saints would rather not. Like Atlanta has no defense. They have really have no, I guess it's up in the air on what kind of running game they have, but they had no running game last year. And game flow is just so important. I mean, when you're looking through game logs and you're trying to put context behind players' individual stats for each game, like one of my main takeaways each year is how players' fantasy production is really determined by game flow. And if you like the Saints and you're mad at Patrick for saying he'd take Matt Ryan over Breeze in fantasy drafts, if you like the Saints, you actually should be a great with answer. That yes. Yeah, because because <laughs> you probably think the Saints are going to be winning more games. Absolutely. And Matt, if the Falcons are losing, they're going to need Matt Ryan more. The Saints, if it's up to the Saints, honestly, you know, I know They'll a lot be of pounding Camara and yeah. Latavius Murray all day. Yeah, I mean, people don't like to hear it when you talk about the Drew Brees and the arm strength issue. I'm not, I'm not going to get into that at least yet. I'm sure I will in some of my podcasts, but but Drew Brees is. What is he, 41 years old? If it's up to Sean Payton, I'm certain that he would much rather be kind of a smash-mouth run team and use Drew Brees you know, when he has to to kind of preserve him for the playoffs. So Atlanta really has no choice, though, right? I mean, they have right. absolutely no choice. Under Dirk Carter last year, Atlanta led the league in pass attempts with 42.8. Yeah, I was just thinking, how many times last year did you, you know, flipping through the channels or watching Red Zone? Oh, Atlanta's in another shootout again. It seemed like it was every week. I'm just telling you right now what I do every single week. Every week, they have to score 40-something points to beat the other team. Right. Except when they play the Saints in the Dome. I forgot what week that was, but that was upsetting. Uh, I wanted to mention another thing about Atlanta. And I'm not seeing anybody talking about Atlanta's offensive line. And Atlanta's offensive line was awful last season. The Falcons had to play musical chairs at both guard positions. And Chris Lindstrom, their right guard, 14th overall pick in 2019, he only started five games. They drafted Matt Hennessy to play left guard. And right tackle Caleb McGarry, they doubled down on first-round picks last year on the offensive line. And McGarry is kind of seen as a raw first-round pick coming out last year. And he's now entering his second year. Alex Mack and Jake Matthews obviously uh, finished last season playing at elite levels. The Falcons' offensive line should be a lot better than it was last season. 
In theory, yes. I mean, yeah, in theory. I mean, as long as those players develop like they're supposed to, because they are young. Trowbridge, he works for Rotoballer. He said that in his time with Atlanta, both as offense coordinator and head coach, Dirk Cotter has never ranked worse than eighth in total passing attempts. Uh, and last year in total passing attempts, the Falcons were obviously ranked first. And then another, this stat, this is actually my favorite stat about Matt Ryan here. Uh, Derek Brown, uh, at dbro underscore FFB, he says that Matt, or he mentions that Matt Ryan has exploded in the second year when he's had the same offensive coordinator. So if you think back, Patrick, to like mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan, Matt Ryan didn't have a great year his first year. His touchdown percentage, and this is what Derek Brown says, his touchdown percentage under Kyle Shanahan's first year, 3.4%. In his second year, remember that was the year that Matt Ryan was the MVP, 7.1% touchdown percentage uh, on, you know, scoring a touchdown on percentage of throws. And then under Sark, in 2017, 3.8 touchdown percentage in his 2017, his first year. 2018, 5.8 percentage. And then last year, Matt Ryan's touchdown percentage was down under Dirk Cotter. So now he's entering his second season under Dirk Cotter. So if history is any indication, Matt Ryan's going to see uh, a huge increase in, in touchdown percentage. All right, so do you have anything more on the Matt Ryan-Drew Brees situation? I do not. I, well, I hope Breeze wins more games. Ryan can have all the fantasy points he wants. It's interesting to talk about it from a fantasy perspective. Are you, when push comes to shove, though, are you going to be able to put your uh, Saints bias aside and the and not even bias, but the fact that you have to stomach, you know, not rooting for Drew Brees, not watching Drew Brees from a fantasy perspective, and you're taking again his rival instead, Matt Ryan? Are you able to actually? go with that on draft day, are you able to put that aside? Or is this yeah absolutely absolutely. I mean that's one thing for fantasy players that you have to you have to get rid of the home team bias. I mean, because honestly, when I play in leagues with friends or maybe not people that are the biggest, you know, experts in the game, I will just automatically cross out Saints players from my draft board because they're gonna go way too high. They're gonna get overdrafted. There was only one player that I'll that I had on my board that was on the Saints. Two players, take that back. Last year was Latavius Murray and Michael Thomas. That's it. I will not draft any other ones just because of how high they'll be go they'll be going in this area with, you know, the hometown bias going on. But that's something you just gotta throw out the window. Yeah, I think that you have to look at it like fantasy football is just a different game. And you have to like Herman Edwards said, you're playing to win the game. I think a lot of people who are serious fantasy players, though, kind of view it as a tiebreaker. Like, if they have Matt Ryan and Drew Brees equal, then they're going to obviously take Drew Brees. And that's that's okay. That's fair. That's fair. One thing that I've actually done in recent years, and I'm, like, such a big proponent on not being biased at all, but I have missed, you know, dating back to the really early days when I was, like, a kid getting into fantasy football, and I would draft, like, a guy like Drew Brees, or at that time it was like Aaron Brooks, which sadly, but uh, but one thing I've done recently is, okay, if you want a stake in your team, uh, draft Will Lutz, right? Yes, because, the kicker. Yeah, yes. No, yeah, because the thing is, well, first of all, Will Lutz obviously has been 
great for fantasy for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But you want Will Lutz to score more often than not because you want at least the Saints to be in scoring position, whether it's field goal or extra points. So you're happy. You're not always happy when Will Lutz goes out there. Sometimes you want to see the Saints go for it on fourth one. But generally speaking, when the Saints score points, you're happy. You can draft Will Lutz in round 14. So you're not spending any higher pick really you're not you're not changing your draft board to go seek out saints players or anything like that it's just a way it's just a low cost and kind of low risk move where you can kind of get some saints exposure there and it's like a cheap way to do it and i've found myself like if i don't end up drafting a saints player organically because you're right patrick i mean if you're most people listening to this are local you know, a lot of them are Saints fans. It's really hard to draft a Saints player in leagues you play with, especially with with friends. So, uh, one thing I've been doing is drafting Will Lutz, and it's like, okay, well, I'm I'm happy at kicker. I'm just going to start him every week and just root for the Saints to score points. So that's. I mean, hell, even the defense you could draft. So, hey, I mean, I just lately, yeah, uh, the Saints defense defense number eight last year for ESPN standard scoring. A long time coming from when the Saints were just historically horrible. They were one of the defenses you wanted to target your players going against, right? Like a great matchup. Uh, those were good times. Yeah, and it was years in years. So now the Saints have finally put a good defense on the field. So anyway, yeah, sit kicker, defense. If you want some Saints exposure, that's a nice cheap way to do it. So let's move on to the next one here. Devin Singletary, who's going 54th overall. Or David Montgomery. Ew, David. He's going 58th overall. So you're on the clock. Who are you taking? This is the one that stings the most. Because Singletary, he, he's my man crush. He was my man crush last year in fantasy football. I wanted him in every single league. But then, like they always do, Nick, they had to go and draft a running back. <laughs> they drafted Zach Moss. Was it, you know, a first or second round pick? No, but Zach Moss was still a very productive player at Utah. And even though the ageless wonder Frank Gore isn't in Buffalo anymore, now there's someone else to mooch goal line touches in addition to Josh Allen, who likes to do that. So I like Singletary. I just think, I mean, he's almost pigeonholed now as a between the 20s runner. And if I'm drafting, you know, that early, I'm going to go with uh, Monty, even though he was a big disappointment last year. But I'm, the, the Bears were just, they were a dumpster fire. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The Bears are who we thought they were. The coaching, I mean, I didn't think Monty got the ball enough, or when he got it, it wasn't when he should have gotten it. He was all out of rhythm for a lot of the year. And I just, I thought Nagy did a terrible job with that. But hopefully things can improve, and Monty should have the majority of the reps in the backfield, and he should get those important goal line touches. I'm going Monty. It's close, but I'm going Monty, and it hurts. Yeah, I actually I actually remember last year you were really high on Devin Singletary last year, and I think in St. Paul's league and that's that's one of the leagues that we are competitors in i think at st paul's league it was either you or or me that drafted him and i i i remember curse words were exchanged uh (laughs) but i can't actually remember who had it so i i don't remember who it was but i definitely remember a lot of conversation uh between you and i about singletary last year 
And you're right. The Singletary situation is it's pretty much exactly as you described it, uh, in my opinion, as well. I think Zach Moss comes in there, and he's actually better than Frank Gore was last season. Yes. So that's probably not good news. Frank Gore averaged 2.6 yards a carry in the second half of last season when they kind of gave Singletary the reins. And now, Zach, like you said, Zach Moss has no slouch. He's going to come in there and probably be more productive than Gore. And he's also... He's bigger than Gore, which is not good for the goal line situation for Singletary. And he's a better, at this stage in his career, he's a better pass catcher than Gore. So, and yeah. I mean, it yeah, also doesn't, it doesn't help that Singletary didn't get much pass catching a bit like work last year anyway. Yeah. Or goal line. Singletary had, I believe it was three carries inside the 10 last year, like for the entire season. That and, sounds about right. Yeah, and yeah, it was. it's one of those situations where you're watching your player live, or, or at least on Red Zone Channel. Bills are in the red zone, but Singletary is nowhere to be found. And you're like, well, what the heck? This is really starting to tick me off. He's their best, mm-hmm. or he's, it, at least last year, he was arguably one of their best offensive players, um, if not their most electric player. And But Josh Allen, I mean, you mentioned it, nine rushing touchdowns in each of the last two seasons. Josh Allen has. So he's going to whack his goal line. Zach Moss obviously is going to be put in that role. When it comes down to it, you're taking about, I love the, I love the phrase you use between the twenties. You're taking a back that you're going to have between the twenties versus a back that you know is going to get goal line carries, at least when the bears actually get there. Right. I feel like Monty and Singletary are exact opposites of the type of player that they are. Where you know Montgomery's going to be in when they're in the red zone, because who else do they have to hand the ball to? Tariq Cohen. Yeah, Cohen's not, an electric uh, back. Don't get me wrong, but he's not someone you want to hand the ball to in the twenties when there's a you know eight guys, nine guys in the box. Exactly. So that's a great point. And and to that point, last year, Adam Pfeiffer uh, at AP Pfeiffer twenty four, he tweeted that David Montgomery saw. of the Bears' carries inside of the five-yard line in 2019. And that's as a rookie, where a lot of coaches... David Montgomery also fumbled the ball quite a bit last year. So the fact that the coaching staff had... You know, they usually take fumblers out uh, out of position, out of scoring position, basically, because they don't trust them near the goal line. Hence why, I guess, Frank Gore had all these goal line carries last year. But David Montgomery, 87.5% of the Bears' carries inside the five last year. You're right. They have no one else to give them to. That was actually the second highest rate in the NFL. And that's as a rookie, you know, obviously he's, he projects to get, I would say at least 250 carries. Yeah. He's not going to be used much in the receiving game, but you mentioned Devin Singletary really was kind of underwhelming from that perspective as well. And I love what you said about the rhythm about the bears, because I had Montgomery, I think on at least two teams last year, and when I was watching the Bears, it was so frustrating because mm-hmm. you mentioned the rhythm. The play calling of Nagy was just it was just so obvious to me when David Montgomery was about to get the ball. And I always tell like my wife Rachel when like she's watching the game and sometimes I'll be like, Oh yeah, they're gonna run up the middle here or they're gonna throw on this down. And she's like you know, obviously new to football, she's like amazed. She's like, How do you blown know? away? Yeah. yeah. And but I tell her you know, it's not that I'm being a genius, but I always tell her, if I can tell what's about to happen, then you can bet 
that a team that's put a week's worth of film study on this team, you can right. tell that they are definitely know what's going to happen. So if I know when David Montgomery is about to get the ball up the middle here, you know the defense is ready for it. So uh, it yeah, was it was like, just really. It was fun. like second and two. They they take out Cohen and then put in Montgomery. It's like, oh, wonder what's happening here. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty aggravating. And Montgomery, listen. He was not good last year. I'm not going to no. sit here and make excuses for the guy. I mean, he's 3.7 yards a carry, uh, 7.5 yards per reception, very low numbers. And if you look at pretty much any efficiency stat, like any metric, Montgomery's like near the bottom of the list. Like <laughs> if you have like a minimum threshold of like, I don't know, 50 or 100 carries or whatever, the bottom of the list, the, the one that I have right here is he ranked 48th of 50 qualified backs in pro football focus is yards after uh, yards after contact. So only 2.33 yards after contact, 48th out of 50 backs, and uh, 29th out of 45 qualifiers in football outsiders success rate. I mean, Montgomery was not efficient. He was not good at running the ball last year. But a lot of this wasn't Montgomery's fault, right? I mean, yeah. it wasn't just the play calling. The Bears had a Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. Horrible offensive line. So their situation didn't help. But Montgomery, when you watched him, or at least when I watched him, I don't know, he looked kind of like the transition to the NFL level was Mm -hmm. a little tough for him. He, I don't know, he just looked kind of slow last year. And I feel like he he came out and his calling card was breaking tackles. And that's usually a great indicator of uh, future NFL success. And it's one of the reasons I was so high on him. Uh, he led the nation in broken tackles, I think, two years in a row for college football coming out. And he did break a lot of tackles. Uh, I mean, you're going to break tackles when you're getting that many carries. But he did break a lot of tackles. And he is strong and he has good balance. He's got some positives to his game. But I think his lack of speed, or at least his lack of explosiveness. It really kind of, showed. It yeah, showed. it showed in the NFL because it didn't really – show in college because he was either the same speed or can outrun some of these guys. But in the NFL, he just couldn't get into a position where he could break the tackles. I guess he was breaking the tackles. But he he was breaking them. It was just right when he broke them, there was four other guys waiting for him. They're on me. I'm getting careless. Yeah, he couldn't so, elude defenders, I guess, is a right. better way to put it with his athleticism. So, And that's why you see all the bad metrics on breakaway percentage and everything like that. Right. This answer is not by any means an endorsement from Montgomery it's more of a you know caution throwing up red flags about Singletary right because he's I mean, about to be in an, an even arguably an even worse role than he had last year and his role last year was not great and I loved how you said Singletary was the opposite because Singletary was breaking tackles left and right and eluding defenders all over the place I mean defenders like couldn't catch this guy Singletary, 5.1 yards per carry last year. I mean, he was electric. He was outstanding as a rookie. And Yeah, you wanted him to get the ball more. Yep. Yeah, whereas Montgomery, you're like, okay, you know, that's enough enough of just running him into brick walls. Right. With Montgomery, it wasn't necessarily like stop giving him the ball. It's giving the ball more creatively in a better situation. Yeah, and it's such a shame because Nagy Nagy is kind of known to be doing that. He's coming from – I think he was an Andy Reid disciple. So, yeah, Kansas City. Yeah. yeah so, uh, it's a shame I couldn't get that really going uh, with David Montgomery. I'm two for two on agreeing with you so far. I would draft Matt Ryan over Drew Brees. 
And I would also take David Montgomery over Devin Singletary for the record. Let's get into the next one. Uh, wide receivers. You have Keenan Allen, uh, 55th overall ADP. And you have Terry McLaurin, who is 52nd overall. Who would you draft? This one is not close for me. Oh, okay. All right. So and I have a feeling I know where you're going, but go ahead. And it's scary, Terry. Okay. And it's not close. I love this guy. He was absolutely phenomenal as a rookie. He played 14 games, 58 catches, 900 yards, and seven touchdowns for the Washington football team, who I've already used this phrase once, but this is the most fitting for an absolute dumpster fire. Like, they, they couldn't do anything right. Their quarterbacks were just horrendous. Dwayne Haskins, I mean, he should I, I guess he showed some flashes towards the end. But overall, I mean, he was not good. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He wasn't great. And yet, while missing two games, Terry McLaurin put up solid wide receiver two numbers. Now, on the flip side of that, you got Keenan Allen, who I also like, but he's also got Tyrod Taylor. And, and with Tyrod looking over his shoulder at Justin Herbert, I think the situation is better for McLaurin also, because can you name another active Washington Redskins wide receiver right now? Yeah, I mean, I they have struggle. Yeah, they have <laughs> Steven Sims, and Sims. that's that's it. I don't know who their third receiver is well, right it now. It was Kelvin Harmon, exactly. but he for his ACL. Yeah, and so, Harmon started uh, with Sims and with McLaurin. That was their three wide receiver set towards mm-hmm. the end of last season. He wasn't bad. He was He was showing some flashes. Yeah, I mean, he averaged five targets a game. And so now McLaurin has even less competition for targets. So right. in my Allen, you got Mike Williams, you got Hunter Henry. I mean, there's plenty of people in uh, L.A. to throw the ball to. And that's not even taking into account Austin Eckler, you know, who's going to gobble up a bunch of targets. So I just think the situation, the, Red, the Redskins are going to be or whatever their team name is, is going to be behind. And safe to say, every single game that they play. So they're going to be throwing the ball a ton. And the number one beneficiary of when they throw the ball is Terry McLaurin. It's almost like you're reading my notes that I have set up here for this. Because that's, whereas the difference for the Devin Singletary and David Montgomery debate for me is, like, the difference is the goal line, right? I mean, that's, like, the key mm-hmm. factor. The key factor for me here was exactly the last bit of information you just said is the competition for targets is just so in favor of Terry McLaurin that it's it's really not close so if you were to even I mean we can debate until the cows come home about what quarterback situation is better whether it's Haskins or whether it's Tyra Taylor slash Justin Herbert and you hit the nail on the head there I would actually argue Dwayne Haskins is actually a better quarterback situation not only because he just showed flashes at the end but also because Haskins and McLaurin played together in college. So yes. mm-hmm. they have a little bit of a rapport. They didn't show it last year. I think uh, my splits when I was game logging, I think McLaurin's first six games with Case Keenum, I have him for 15.98 points per game. And then his final seven games with Haskins, only 12.5 points per yeah. game. And that's a wide receiver, 36 pace. I mean, you mentioned it. You have 
this is a situation where McLaurin's the guy in, in Washington, and Keenan Allen is one of the guys. One of the guys, and I would argue, again, that Haskins is actually even a better quarterback situation because you mentioned that they're going to throw more in Washington right. than Los Angeles, where I think their strategy is more run-pass option with Tyrod Taylor, kind of use his mobility there. They're going to be a low-volume passing attack for sure, and I think Washington will be too, but really – like, would you be surprised, Patrick, if 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 Los Angeles Chargers finish the season last in passing attempts next year? Because I certainly would not. No, would not be surprised at all. And also, I don't think this gets said enough. Sure, I think in a vacuum, Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert are better quarterbacks than Dwayne Haskins. But like you said, with the situation, obviously Haskins is going to be throwing the ball more. And also, Tyrod is going to be looking over his shoulder the entire year. And that only brings out worse things from a quarterback. You saw it with Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland when Baker Mayfield was there. Tyrod was awful. Like, he wasn't just, oh, maybe he can get a – he was bad. Yeah. He had one good game against – I think it was the Saints. but But he had one good game and everything else. It's like, what are you doing out there, man? And here comes Baker, and the rest is history, I guess. And I just think it's a similar situation. Hopefully Tyrod learns, has learned this time around you know, to just keep his nose down and do his work and not worry about anybody else. But at the same time, that's a hard, you know, that's a hard thing to do, especially at a professional level when you know, you're looking over your shoulder. They picked this guy really high in the first round. He's, he's coming for my job. It's hard right. to do. Yeah, and it's not a situation where you know, y'all are actually – having a fair fight, like battling for the job. Justin Herbert will take Tyrod right. Taylor's job at some point in right. this season. And the, if the Chargers start losing games, then the fans are going to be – well, the few fans that they have are going to be calling for it. And <laughs> All three of them. How does that make you feel? Yeah, all three of them, and and they're not even going to be in the stadium probably, sadly. But anyway, I think one of the reasons this happens is because quarterbacks, when you start playing like you're, you know, you have a guy over your shoulder, you start maintaining, you start just trying to do things to keep your job, aka playing not to mess up, right? You're playing very conservatively. You're just trying to not throw that interception that's going to sideline you and then that might be good for winning games in real life because, yeah, the Chargers have a good defense. Maybe they can play really slow, run the ball, um, and play good defense. And if Tyra Taylor can not turn the ball over, you know, that's their winning strategy. That's a recipe for success. That's not a good fantasy recipe for success. You want aggression in fantasy football from your quarterback and from your wide – like if you have wide receivers, you want them from their quarterbacks. Agreed. Yeah, so – are you out on Keenan Allen totally? Is there a scenario where you would draft Keenan Allen, or is this just a situation where, because you mentioned it's not close, is this just a situation where you just love Terry McLaurin? Yes, I just love Terry, but I'm not all the way out on Keenan Allen, but it would have to also be, I guess, a significant discount on his ADP. Yeah, Maybe a round or a round and a half. Yeah, and you could get one. You could get that. Allen... You know, I want to make this clear. I, I, and I think you can agree with me here. 
Allen is a top 12 NFL talent wide receiver. Absolutely. In, in my opinion, easily. Like, honestly, if I was going to rank the receivers, I, I feel like he'd be in my, uh, like, near number seven or eight, honestly, to me, just kind of off the top of my head. But, but and Allen, he would be, yeah, he would be top one or two for me in the slot. I mean, yeah. there's no, I mean, there's yeah. no question I mean, he's that, about that great of a route runner. And hey, and I'm not trying to uh, take away from Terry McLaurin either because he looks like a talented player. But Allen is the superior talent, and but he's kind of made a living on targets for the last couple of years. And now without Philip Rivers. Yeah, you're looking at a situation where you may be able, if you're not out on Keenan Allen totally, which I don't, I'm, I'm not blaming you if you are, but if you're not, you're actually looking at a situation where, yeah, you might get that ADP discount because people are going to be out on them because of their, they're going to look at the quarterback situation and be like, nope, not for me. There's always players that fall in your fantasy drafts, like when you do it. There's always players that just slide for whatever reason, like three rounds. And Keenan Allen, I have a feeling, is going to slide in a lot of fantasy drafts. Let's move on to the next one, and that is Mark Andrews. Tied in for the Baltimore Ravens, 43rd overall on Fantasy Pro's full point PPR ADP. And Zach Ertz is actually 44th overall on Fantasy Pro's full point PPR ADP. So they're right next to each other. Mark Andrews, he seems to have a higher ADP among the experts. But then on the mainstream websites, like if you go look at the early ESPN rankings, et cetera, Zach Ertz is higher. So kind of an interesting split here. And I like that their fantasy pros ADP is almost equal. So where are you going with this? Who would you rather have, Mark Andrews or Zach Ertz? Um, it's an interesting situation because both of them, in my opinion, are their team's number one wide receiver. Yeah, I think. And, but, I mean, I guess Hollywood Brown is technically the number one for Baltimore. But I think Andrews is by far the more consistent and more steady option. I mean, who knows what Philadelphia has? They have Jalen Rieger and then Alshon Jeffrey, who you might as well just wheel him out there in a wheelchair. He's always hurt. But I'm going to go Mark Andrews. I'll keep it short here. I just think, you know, want Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson seems to love Andrews um, and Andrews doesn't let him down and no Hayden Hurst anymore in Baltimore right. shipped him over to Atlanta. I think that clears things up for Andrews. And since Philadelphia drafted him, Goddard's presence just gives just, it just rubs me the wrong way when I'm looking to draft Ertz Cause they, I mean, cause they use two tight ends and I can't tell you how many times Last year, I was just looking at the Philly games, the stat sheets, and Goddard was catching the touchdowns. And so I think Goddard is a is a drain on Ertz's value, but all but I do think Ertz is still a rock solid tight end one. I love that Zach Ertz has five straight seasons with a hundred plus targets, which kind of speaks to his year in and year out consistency. My favorite stat about Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews only played on 41% of the Ravens' offensive snaps last year. 41%. <laughs> Yet, I mean, that's crazy low. I mean, a lot of it was due to injuries, but also the, they just rotated them. They had three mm -hmm. tight ends. They had Nick Boyle, Hayden Hurst, and Mark Andrews. And 
41% of the Ravens' offensive snaps, and yet he was still second in the NFL in touchdown receptions of all players. Crazy. And, yeah, first in tight ends with 10. And I think we can fairly project him. Now that Hayden Hurst is gone, like you said, I think we can fairly project Mark Andrews for more, I mean, obviously more than 41%, but I would say at least – even if they do a rotation, probably around 60% of the snaps. Yeah, that's what and, I was going to say, about 60. Yeah, and this is a guy who, you know, if he gets a snap in, uh, increase, this is a guy who's just, like, so amazing, like, from an efficiency perspective, that if he gets more targets, it's going to be awesome. Now, the touchdowns are likely going to come down. I mean, Lamar Jackson yes. had a historic year, and touchdowns are typically a very non-sticky stat. Like, they kind of fluctuate year in and year out. So the chances of Andrews having a 10 scores again or leading tight ends and touchdowns again are, are slim. But I definitely think you can project him for, as long as he's healthy at least, for more catches, more targets, more receiving yards. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious here. So to me, it just comes down to risk evaluation here between these guys. And if you are in round four and you want the tight end who's definitely going to put up 110 targets, 700 yards, and like five touchdowns. Like, and you know, you want for that's all you want. Like, you just want a safe tight end. Then Zach Ertz is probably your guy. I mean, if there's anyone I would bet on to put up like those baseline numbers, like 700 yards, five touchdowns, like I would pick Zach Ertz, like even over Kelsey and Kittle because like injury concerns. Like, Zach Ertz is going to get you that, you know? Yes. Uh, yeah. But, if you want to take a risk on a guy like Andrews who can either kind of explode into the, you know, the next stratosphere here, uh, or at least get into that Kelsey and Kittle range, or, you know, he could get hurt. Lamar Jackson, obviously with his playing style, he could get hurt, or he just could have massive touchdown regression and the Ravens could keep using him as a rotational tight end for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, you're kind of taking a risk because if Andrews did not have 10 touchdowns last year, and let's say that number regressed to, I don't know, four, then yeah, I mean, that's a significant damper. We're not having this conversation if that happened. Yeah, exactly. More than so, likely. So yeah, I mean, it just kind of comes down to what type of player you would really want on your team. What are you looking for? Are you looking for safety at tight end? Or are you looking for kind of boom um, or upside, I should say? Let's do one more, actually. Let's do one more. Uh, Ronald Jones or Jordan Howard? Oh, boy. Um, well, I still don't think Miami is very good, so I don't think they'll be running the ball a ton. So I'm going to go Rojo, but that Tampa Bay backfield is going to be a head-scratcher, I think, all year. Keyshawn Vaughn from Vandy, who's a nice little player, and Rojo apparently has been working on his pass-catching skills this offseason which were sorely lacking last year. In terms of a player, I don't think I've ever seen someone have as bad of a preseason as Ronald Jones did. And that's kind of hard because, you know, there's like, you know, fourth string or really seventh or eighth string guys out there playing. And Ronald Jones looked like the worst player on the field. But then live bullets start flying in the actual games and he shows flashes. And if he can, you know, get the majority of the touches in that Tampa backfield with Tom Brady now at the helm. I think he's in for a, a, a solid running back two season. I feel like whoever gets the majority of the carries in Tampa will be a rock solid RB two 
with with back end RB one potential. So that's so, who I'm going with. So you're going with the upside of the situation, basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the best argument for Ronald Jones. It's definitely a better situation than in Miami, with their offensive line is dreadful <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. Their quarterback situation. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick was is pretty good last year, but it's a question mark, though. Yeah, it's definitely I mean, a question mark. They also, Jordan Howard has. I mean, you talked about Ronald Jones's lack of receiving game. Jordan Howard doesn't even, even have less. the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, like he he just gets stubbed out. Like regardless, uh, he doesn't even get the chance to have a receiving game. But this is actually. I'm glad I mentioned this one because this is actually our first disagreement. I actually lean Jordan Howard here. It's not a sexy pick by any means. I, neither of these picks are really sexy picks, but it's not a sexy pick. But I think that I trust Jordan Howard's role more, whereas I'm a little afraid about Keyshawn Vaughn, like you said, coming in. Because I didn't. I don't know. I watched some of his tape from Vanderbilt. I, I didn't think he was, like, special. But if he's a better pass-catching back than Ronald Jones, that's, you know, Tom Brady – really latches on to guys like James White. And mm-hmm. if he comes in and just proves to be the more reliable back, it just wouldn't shock me if the Bucks did use Ronald Jones as a change of pace back. Whereas Jordan Howard, you know he's going to be getting the ball on early downs. Like kind of David Montgomery season last year, where he's probably not going to be pretty. It's not going to be efficient. But for bye weeks or if my guy gets hurt, at least I can slot Jordan Howard in there for getting his 15 carries and mm-hmm. one catch a game, maybe. Uh, Seven his, points. Yeah, pencil it 15 in. carries on his, I don't know, 50 yards and a possible touchdown. Right. Uh, but just because of volume alone. And I feel more secure about the volume. Right. But to, to me, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just not seeing it with Ronald Jones. And uh, to me, I'd just rather take the secure workload. Yeah, the boom yeah. potential for Ronald Jones is much higher than Jordan Howard. Yeah, it is. I think, I think we can agree that Jordan Howard is not going to go off this year. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, his ceiling is like in RB2. Like, right, like right. he does not have like top 12 running back ceiling, like just out of the question. Whereas if Ronald Jones... If, if everything breaks right, Ronald yeah, Jones... Yeah, Vaughn flops. If Keyshawn yeah. Vaughn flops, Ronald Jones will be creeping in, sadly... <laughs> Very sadly, I hate saying, right. but if Keyshawn Vaughn is a total bust and the Bucks just kind of give up on that, maybe they don't bring in Dare Agunwale, however you pronounce his name. Agunwale, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong. If they don't bring him in and they just, I don't know. I, I'm not even, I mentioned my last episode, they could also bring in Devonta Freeman or Lamar Miller too as a mm-hmm. pass catcher. But that's why, that's another reason I like Jordan Howard's role. But I will admit that if these guys flop and Ronald Jones is just the guy in Tampa, then yeah, you're looking at a guy who literally could be a Harvey one, which is sad to say, but it's just true that's, in that offense. That's scary to think yeah. about. Okay. All right. So we had one disagreement out of five. Would have liked a little more, but that's okay. Uh, I'm still taking Jordan Howard there. You're still taking Ronald Jones. Uh, and we both were on the same page with Matt Ryan, David Montgomery over Devin Singletary. Terry McLaurin over Keenan Allen. I think that was the one we were strongest on, and I agree with you. And then the uh, Mark Andrews over Zach Ertz. We'd both take Andrews, but we don't really mind Ertz. Although I think I was a little higher on Ertz than you were. Uh, you seem to be a little more concerned than I was about Dallas Goddard, but that's okay. 
Uh, let's get into some uh, quick hits right here. Quick parting shots right here. Okay, quick responses only. Patrick, your favorite fantasy football memory? It yeah. would be winning a championship with Brett Favre. I forgot who was playing, but it was the day after his dad died when he just went crazy for, what, four or five touchdowns. And that right, won me yeah. Against so the was, Raiders. Yeah, that, that was probably that an emotional was. moment for both of y'all. Yes, <laughs> One a little bit more than the other, I'd say. Yeah, not to underplay your championship. Yeah. No, but it was probably really cool watching that, of like how emotion, he, emotional he was, and seeing that also while your fantasy team's obviously winning a championship. Pretty cool moment there. I like that. Uh, number two, give me a hot take or a bold prediction for the 2020 season. Well, since you said I wasn't being bold enough, I had Kyler Murray top three quarterback, but I'll say it. Kyler Murray, QB1. Okay. I love it. That's what I'm talking about here. Yeah, I don't think top three. I think that, that's definitely a take, it, but I don't think it's, it's like a, totally It's a awesome. simmering take. It's an actionable take, but yeah, that's what I was looking for. QB1, Kyler Murray. Hey, sounds hot now, but Lamar Jackson last year, way lower ADP than Kyler Murray this year. So you never know what could happen. Same for Pat Mahomes two years ago. So, yeah, you never know. Uh, number three, what is one scoring element or league setting that you wish was incorporated in all of your leagues? I think you and I agree on one. I have two. I think you and I agree on one of them is first downs. I would like that a running back or a receiver that you know moves sticks – Get a get a half point, a point. That would be cool. Wait, also, real quick. Would you abolish? Would you would you want to include first downs within PPR? Or are you yes. in favor of abolishing PPR and changing it to first downs? Include. Are you yes. like you like full point PPR, or half point PPR? I generally do half point, and I'll tell you I'll tell you my other scoring change. What it would be an inflated PPR for tight ends. So instead oh, of tight end premium. Yeah. So. Like you're in a half point PPR league, I would like tight ends to get the full point PPR where everyone else gets half. Okay, that's actually a very common, uh, it's more common than people think among experts in high stakes leagues. Uh, like, you know, the big fantasy football tournament going on right now, Scotty Fishbowl, mm -hmm. that's always been tight end premium. Uh, I'm going to piggyback off this question and lead it to another one. If your league was that situation where it's half-point PPR, full-point for tight ends, does that change your opinion about George Kittle and Travis Kelsey? Would you yes. Say that it does? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you got to be adjusting to mm -hmm. different scoring settings here. Uh, so just to be clear, because I'm really interested in this type of stuff. I don't know if my listeners are, but you said you wanted a PPR edition and first down, a uh, point per first down edition. Are you trying to say, like, I don't know, half point for PPR and half point first down? Or are you saying more like mm -hmm. half point for PPR and maybe full point for first down? I'm, yeah, just half for both. Half for I both. Feel like that would, I feel like that would even out, and I think people would adjust to it more seamlessly, and it would get a lot less backlash. Yeah, I definitely agree with the backlash. Unfortunately, I invite the backlash. I'm on the opposite end of the – I'm on the extreme end of it. I would just abolish PPR and do only first downs. But I've already discussed this on the show. Number four, what fantasy expert do you follow closest? Who's your favorite expert? My favorite one, it's the only good thing ESPN has left going, and it's Matt Barry. I read yeah. his love-hate every single week. Love it. Big fan. Love Matthew Barry. Yeah. So Matthew Barry, like, I mean, just so ESPN has so much competition now for all these other writers. 
you know, a lot of people don't consider Matthew Barry to be like the smartest analyst out there. I don't know how to say it, but when Matthew Barry posts something, everybody yeah. reads it. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's it's mandatory reading, whether it's his draft day manifesto, whether it's mm-hmm. his top 100 facts. Where, yep. where I did two podcasts, my opening two podcast episodes were on Matthew Barry's uh, top 100 facts, and then or whether it's like you said, uh, his love hate. I mean, everybody's reading it. Every week, it's just he is such a command. Yeah, I, I like your answer. Uh, it's number- just yeah, it's just he's entertaining, and that's the thing. When I read it, something about fantasy, it's cool. Like I'm reading stats and all, but I want to be entertained when I read it. And Matthew Barry always entertaining. Yeah, great writer. Okay, number five, biggest fantasy football pet peeve. Oh, this grinds my gears more than anything. It's trading. If oh. I send you a trade offer for somebody. Don't give me the, I'll let you know when a, in, a, in a few hours, or I'll let you know in a day, and then make me come track you down. You know right when I propose something if you're interested or not. Just tell me. Just say yes or no. I'm not going to be hurt. Like, my feelings aren't going to be hurt either way. Just tell me so I can either A, you know, either up my offer to you for that player, or B, take my business elsewhere. I'm not I'm not trying to waste my time barking up a tree that's not going to respond to me. I have to say, out of all the things you've mentioned on this podcast, that was you seem the most passionate about that. Yes. So. Oh, it <laughs> aggravates me to no end. Uh, okay, number six, uh, biggest whiff in your fantasy career. Oh, I'm, I forget what year it was, but it was Kellen Winslow in Tampa. Uh, he was with Josh Freeman. I think Mike Williams might have been there. But, you know, for whatever reason, young Patrick was all in on that Tampa offense. And I really wanted Kellen Winslow. So bad that when he got drafted, I didn't draft him. On draft night, after the draft, I made a trade with my friend. who I traded a running back or a wide receiver for, I was like, whatever. And a tight end that I picked in the last round for Kellen Winslow. Felt great about it. Well, unfortunately, that tight end that I traded was Rob Gronkowski in his breakout. Oh, no. Was that a keeper league? Oh, uh, uh, no. Thank God. It was just a redraft. Yeah, but, but you had to watch this guy come out of nowhere yeah, and just dominate. It's, it's, it still hurt. It was like salt in the wound every Sunday when he was dropping you know, 25 points and Winslow's just doing everything he can to get four. So that that was a big whiff. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, let's finish on a positive note. What is your biggest hit of your fantasy career? Biggest hit? I was in a a family fantasy league. It's very different. And it's 16 teams. And in the fourth round, you can sign a player for up to five years. Meaning, you pick him, you say, I want him for five years. He's on your team for those five years as a fourth round pick. Obviously, this can go very well or very poorly. This time, it went very well. I picked Ladanian Tomlinson, his rookie wow. year, coming out of TCU, and signed him for five years. So you had Ladanian Tomlinson for five years? And then I got the number one pick in the sixth year, and I picked him again. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So you just had like a dynasty of Ladanian Tomlinson as your career yes. guy? That's, Unfortunately, only got two championships out of it, but hey. Well, out of 16 teams, actually, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, two out of six in a 16-team league is actually great numbers there. But yeah, LT, the GOAT. 
All right, that was great stuff from Patrick. I always enjoy talking about, debating about football with him. We do it often. But now it's time to move to our fantasy nugget of the show. And Patrick has listened to the show, and he knows about the fantasy nugget of the show, and he actually offered his fantasy nugget of today's episode. So this actually comes from Patrick, and he says that during his research, it did come from, I believe, fantasypros.com. And the nugget is this. Michael Thomas outscored the number two receiver in fantasy football by 67 points. Yet, among the top 40 wide receiver performances for the entire season, Michael Thomas only had one of them. In other words, Michael Thomas only had one of the top 40 performances for the entire fantasy football season out of receivers, and yet he still finished 67 points ahead of the number two receiver in fantasy football. Pretty crazy stat right there that really speaks to his consistency on a week-to-week basis, and that is a great nugget. And that will conclude today's episode. Thank you so much to my guest, Patrick Feast, for coming on the show. I personally loved the segment on David Montgomery versus Devin Singletary. Great content there. You can find Patrick on Twitter, at Pat Feast, that's F-I-S-S-E, and I'm at Fantasy Law Guy. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to this podcast and give me a good rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell all your friends. Help spread the word so this young podcast can grow. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.